Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Continue with uh, session 19. I'm trying to finish it today, if the Lord will permit. <laughs> okay. Because I really want to get into the prosperity of the soul and talk about that as a a build-up and a follow-up onto this, okay? Um, You must remember, uh, John said to Gaius, in 3 John, to Gaius, the letter, he said, I wish above all things that you prosper and that you be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Every other expression of prosperity is dependent upon the prosperity of the soul, the well-being, the wholeness, the completeness, the fullness of the soul. In the series the primacy of the word of the Lord, we are dealing with how to hear with our spirits. To get that right, to receive spiritual words and the landscape of your spirit, you're going to have to um, submit your soul completely to the leading of your spirit. Where we are in the series now, just to contextualize your mind is, we're dealing with the flesh, because the, what the flesh does is, it causes the leanness of the soul, the vexation of the soul, the disempowering of the soul, right? And so that what the Holy Spirit wants to do through your spirit to lead your soul, the works of the flesh is doing the opposite, to disempower, to cause leanness to um, the soul, right? And so Galatians is true when it said the spirit fights against the flesh or lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, the, the fight for dominance is the area of the soul, right? Because if you, through your five senses, we said, in your soul, you live intelligibly and effectively in the world. If that domain is influenced by fleshly pursuit, your soul will never ever be brought to a place where it will willingly and healingly submit itself to the leading of the Holy Spirit within the landscape of, of your spirit, Okay? And so we discussed, I'm not going to go through all the keys, but we discussed several keys up to this point of how to overcome carnality. Uh, the carnal man, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he said to the Corinthians, I could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal. How be it there's strife, jealousy, envyings among you, right? And you're infants and babes in the Lord. And you, you're bound by sectarianism. One says I'm of Paul, one says I'm of Apollos, others say I'm of Cephas. All those are expressions of carnality. Please, I remind you, when I say carnality, I'm not just talking about fleshly sins. Carnality is a broad, broad topic. Three broad categories are, if you, if you prefer infancy, if infancy in your mind, spiritual infancy, dwarfness, if that is a preferred state or condition without the inclination to mature in the Lord, biblically, that is carnal. For me, it's serious when a church leader wants to not mature his church. And the state of the church is regarded as carnal. Paul says, I could not speak to you as spiritual, but I speak to you as carnal. And he says, how be it you are still babes and you have need of milk. Right? So I really want to encourage you, never ever plateau. Plateau and spiritual stagnancy biblically is called carnality. Hmm? And then he says, sectarianism, um, factions, tensions, schisms, divisions, right? All of that is expressions of carnality. He also references covetousness, jealousy, and then by implication is all other works of the flesh. Okay. We've discussed, um, just to, if you go in your notes, we've discussed um, on page two, how carnality causes the leanness of the soul. And the leanness of the soul is something you must understand. Right? I won't go through that. The notes are quite exhaustive. And we've done extensive teaching on that. On page 5, I, I explained to you how that you must watch your company because flesh, carnal company incites fleshly behavior. And we discussed the issue of the rebel who exited, who exited Egypt together with Israel. 
The Bible says the rabble, or what is called the mixed multitude, the Hebrew word is Ereb, they were responsible for the fleshly desires, instilling fleshly desires within Israel. And the mixed multitude went with them. So watch your company to overcome carnality. Right? And then on page 6, we discuss how grace can empower you to deny ungodliness. Titus says, if you have grace, you are instructed to deny ungodliness and to live sensibly. And uh, uh, sensibly, we said is sophronos, which is a sound mind. Everyone say sound mind. A reference to the soul. You can live a well-balanced, well-disciplined, sober life in the area of your soul when grace is present. On page 7, we discussed walking in the Spirit, which essentially is a life of obedience. Okay? A life of obedience. And then um, on page 8, we dis- page 9, we discussed the pursuit of love. Right? And I like this, you know. First Peter 1.22 is becoming a favorite verse of mine recently. It was quoted this morning. Since you have an obedience to the truth, did what to your soul? Purify your soul. For what? For indicates the ultimate goal. It says, for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently one and love one another from a pure heart. Notice the progression of that verse. You obey the truth. When you obey the truth, what do you do to your soul? You bring purity to the soul with the ultimate intent of loving the brothers with a sincere heart fervently. Okay? You know when your soul is being mature. You know when your soul is being purified to the extent that God has desired. When you can grow in your expression of divine love. So everyone say pursue love. I really want to encourage them. I can't wait to do the series on love. Very, very in-depth. But love is the highest expression of divine nature. If you can pursue love, just the pursuit of love will negate your uh, involvement in any carnal expression, whatever it might be. Because love is not rude. Love is not arrogant. Love is not puffed up. Love doesn't think evil of anyone. Love is not proud. Love does not boast. I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love rejoices in the truth. The presence of love is, the, is a factor that will cause you not to lean toward carnality, okay? Peter said, Paul said this to his son Timothy. Yes, it's in 1 Timothy 1.5. The end goal, the goal of our instruction is love. All of all your Bible studies, all your teaching. The thing that you must reach out for, the goal of all instruction, is love. And we we discussed that at length. Then also on page 10, we discussed um, how that you must not give place to the devil. Remember this? Everyone say, don't give place. Anybody remember the Greek word for place? Topos. Everyone say topos. Topos is, as it's explained in your notes, I think it's somewhere I don't know where it is. That's page 11, I think. Yeah. Uh, this is from Ephesians 4. Paul said, do not give place to the devil. Topos is a post, a locality, an occasion for acting. License, room, opportunity, or a condition. Right? It's also described as a foothold in the Amplified Bible. Right? So don't give the enemy license to work in your life. Don't give the enemy locality or an occasion for acting. Satan got occasion for acting in your life when you give him place, right? When you give him a foothold. And remember we said contextually, let's read it on page 11 again, right? Verse 26 of Ephesians 4, Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Then it says, do not give what? Topos. Everyone say topos. Do not give the enemy license or an occasion for acting, an opportunity in your life. Right? He who steals must steal no longer. He must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Right? So, Paul says, for example, if you are stealing, what must you do? Not to give place to the enemy. Two things you must do. So, he who is bound by theft, he's stealing, works of the flesh, carnality. You're giving legitimate room in the, for the enemy to have to work in your life. So what must you do not to give room? Two things. You must first stop stealing. And then he says, 
labor, get a job and work, so that you can give. So you stole, you took, you took, you took. Now you realize my theft is giving place to the enemy. What must I do? I must stop one thing and I must work the opposite of it. I must get a job and where I had this propensity to take away and steal, I must do, I must, I must, I must, I think of it like this. I must defeat the enemy by working in the opposite spirit to where the enemy had me bound. So while I stole, now I, I go consciously to go in the opposite direction to that area where he had me bound. I now give. Can you see how it works? Right? Be angry and sin not, he said in the previous verse. Right? So not giving topos to the enemy always involves two actions. The stopping of one thing, but you can't stop one thing. I said to you on Tuesday that if you simply stop the one without doing the other, stopping the one creates a vacuum, right? And that is still giving place to the enemy. You've got to have two things. The fleeing of one thing and the following of another. And Paul said this to his own son, Timothy. Okay, and we explained that at length. I like how... Um, Look at the Amplified. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. The CEV, don't give him a chance. And remember the term foothold in general refers to a secure position from which further progress can be made. Remember I said this? If you have a foothold and you're a mountaineer, you're climbing. You, you, a foothold means you put your leg and you want to climb to the next height. Foothold simply means a secure position from which further progress can be made. Do not give the enemy a foothold, place. Do not give him occasion from which he can make further progress of his intent in your life. Not so? Right? So you don't go to the, uh, you don't provide license, room. Some of us want to be praying against the devil's intent. Right? But you are, uh, you're watching pornographic movies. What's the point? You're providing large move, room in your sphere for him to launch a further, not just that assault, further assault in your life. Right? Um, you're saying, I want to overcome, but you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Bitterness, you're not forgiving. That's like topos. You're giving him opportunity to advance other things in your, and in, in your, in your life. Okay? So whatever the expression of carnality is, if, for example, you dishonor leadership, there are several curses attended with that. Right? Study Moses, study Miriam, study Aaron. Right? That's providing room from which the enemy can advance his, his work. Don't do that by not doing the, the works of the flesh. You're providing him no, I like the, 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 the definition of occasion for acting. Look at it. You don't provide him an occasion to act. Sometimes you've got to violently, remember what we're doing? can't tell you how the, my spirit man is so aware these days. I'm consciously obeying all of um, the principles we've started from the time we started. And what I'm finding is my spirit senses are being heightened. Right? My soul is following or be, there's a line between soul and spirit. I can obey quickly and easily in my body through my five senses in the world. I can walk obediently in the world, pleasing God the Father. Part of this is warfare, right? This is warfare because the spirit is fighting the flesh. The flesh, the spirit, for ascendancy and dominance over the, over, the, over the soul. You know, I want to get to the place where Jesus was, right? The Bible says he was an agony in the garden. Agizomai is the Greek word. Agony, agizomai. It describes an arena of contest where fierce games of, of battles, uh, combat are, between two people, a gizomai. So it describes an intense place. That's why his sweat turned as though it were drops. Imagine in agony in the garden. This conflict. I don't want to, listen carefully, I don't want to get where he was at the height of God's will for my life and the reason for which I was born, the cross, is about to take place. I'm reaching the zenith, the top of God's will for me. And at that point I find my flesh is still overpowering my spirit. Jesus demonstrated submission to his Father's will, listen carefully, consistently over a period of time. 
What did he say in John 14? We did it, remember? The enemy has come, but he has nothing in me. The previous page on page 10, John 14, 30. He says, the, he's come, but he got nothing in me. What he was saying is, remember I said this to you, that the word has is the Greek word echo. If, if you make a sound and it echoes, the echo resembles and copies the original sound, not so in natural terms. When Jesus says, the enemy has come, but he's got no echo in me. In other words, there's nothing in me that is akin or like anything that he is. There is no compatibility between him and I. In other words, in, in the language of Paul, he's saying, the enemy got no foothold, no place in me, got no occasion for working. And when he did that repetitively, please, I want to, for those of you that are here and you've been faithful, I want to commend you in the Lord. Um, I think uh, by virtue of your diligence, you know what God is doing in your life? God is progressively pro maturing you for a place of height or climaxing of his will. When at the most crucial place of your life, you're going to have to say, not my will, but thy will be done. But to get to that place, your spirit man would have been so, have to be so fully formed, so in charge, so dominant, that no fleshly attempt to rebel against the will of the Lord in your body or your soul will succeed against the resolve in your spirit. Right? It will not work. Isn't that a powerful place to be? Say, God, you know, why did Abraham easily say, yes, I'll kill my firstborn? He's 17 years old now, but if you say, take him up to the mountain, lay him up, take a knife, put it through his heart, I will do it. Which natural father can do that? No one, I mean, the, just the fathering over a son, the love will rebel. But you see, Abraham didn't just arrive there overnight. The guy is 17. Abraham obeys before, this track back 30 years before. I think I don't know how long, it didn't work the time, maybe 40 years. When God first said to him, go to the land of, uh, of the Chaldees, to land that I will show you. Was it easy for Abraham to do that? Hey, where was Abraham born? Where did he stay? Uh, that's right. <laughs> you are uh, of the Chaldees. Um, he had a brother, Lot's father. Remember Lot's nephew chatted along with him. He had family, he had a social network, he had friends. He seemed to be very successful, seemed to be very wealthy. God said to him, drop everything and just follow my voice. Aaron was already learning, my spirit must dominate every natural inclination. Abraham, listen, obeyed God successfully and successively through a whole series of commandments before the final big commandment came, now take the boy and kill him. That doesn't just come. That commandment only comes when God sees a track record of obedience up to the, the zenith or the apex of his commandments. Okay? So I really want to encourage you, obey the little things over a period of time and you so prepare your heart to obey the crucial thing that God calls you. You know, in your life, there's always that one aspect of obedience that is crucial in your destiny that really turns things forever. You know what God said to Abraham after he was willing to kill Abraham? He says, now I know what's in your heart. So I swear by myself, I will surely make you a father of many nations. God swore by himself an irrevocable, irrefutable, irretractable promise. Whatever Abraham did from that point onwards, the promise would have stood. Because God said, now I swear. Your promise, your destiny will surely come to pass as a father of many nations. Hmm? Tell you number, there's that one thing. Is that one thing that God will ask you to do that it's like God when God sees that, but you have to come up to that point. God says, Now I know you. Right? And there's like this whatever, I, I even surmised in my own mind, whatever Abraham would have done from that point onwards would have not inhibited what God promised. An irrevoc irrevocable, irretractable commitment that God made to him based upon. That one act of obedience. There's that one thing 
that is needful that God asks you to do. Okay, big detour there. Let's go back to your notes. On page 12. On page 12, just before, we're going to deal now with abstaining from all appearance of evil. But just before, the, the verse in Romans 12 verse 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. I'll talk more about to that verse later on. You see, you must make no provision for it. If you want to overcome it, don't make accommodation for it. Don't entertain it. Okay? Now, another way, another key in the scripture for you to overcome carnality, um, it's just, well, not another key. It's like another way of saying essentially the same thing. It's to abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, the key word here is two. Well, there's two key words. Three key words, in fact. Abstain, appearance, and evil. Abstain, appearance, and evil. First Thessalonians 5, 21 to 24. King James. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Number two, abstain from all appearance of evil. Number three, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who called you, who will also do it. Right? Put a big NB there. This is God's promise. God said, I am faithful in verse 24, and I'm going to do this thing. Amen? Isn't this a tremendous encouragement? God, God says, this is where I'm going. Your whole spirit, your whole body, your whole soul is going to be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And God says, I guarantee this as a promise that I will do based on my faithfulness. But when does the faithfulness of God kick in? Only when you do, verse 21 and 22. Verse 21 says, examine all things, assess all things, prove all things, examine all things carefully like the New American Standard Version says. And once you've tested all things, hold fast to that which is good. So you cling to the good, but you abstain from the appearance of evil. Listen carefully. I like the word appearance. The appearance of evil. Look at it. Form or appearance is the Greek word eidos, which means external or outward appearance, form, figure or shape. Now the look of it, the appearance, the outward expression, the form. You know, sometimes you actually don't need discernment to see whether it's evil or not. Just look at how the thing appears. The Bible says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Just the outward form, the shape um, the, the, by which it's represented will tell you whether it's evil or not. But also, more importantly, I think, the Greek word eidos doesn't just allude to external form. It also means the act of seeing, the thing seen. The act of seeing, the thing seen. That which strikes the eye. That which is exposed to, to view. So this word has two nuances, namely, number one, the act of seeing, and number two, the thing seen. There's two impressions. The act of seeing and the thing seen. So I think Paul is saying this, don't see it in the first place. Don't expose your eye to view it. Right? Lot was vexed, his soul was vexed by the things he saw in Sodom. Don't even look at it. Right? But if occasion, if you have occasion and it comes into your view, abstain even some from its form. Abstain from the thing seen. If it looks evil, keep away from it. Note the obvious signs of the evilness attendant with it. Okay? And sometimes, you know, we ask, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Yet you have 110 signs that you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be in that gathering. You shouldn't be with that crowd. You shouldn't be watching that program. You shouldn't be thinking that thought. You uh, shouldn't be watching that kind of movie. You shouldn't be reading that kind of book. It's just some things you see will overtly tell you, I shouldn't be looking at this. Have you ever, right? Just the appearance, so it's the act of seeing and the thing seen that you must abstain from. 
keep away from it. Right? Abstain, I love this. The Greek is apekomai, which literally means to hold oneself off. Everyone say abstain. This Greek word means to literally, like, like the meaning, to hold oneself off. You put restraints and constraints on yourself and you literally, you know why? Because don't underestimate the power of your flesh. Your flesh will want to gravitate towards that. But you arise in your spirit and you say, no, I hold you off. I hold you off from it. Right? It's a powerful position. I hold you off from it. Now, First Thessalonians 4 says the following, 3 to 5. Underline, this is the will of God. I like this, how this verse starts here. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, underline, abstain from sexual immorality. Right? Don't in, be involved in sexual sin. Abstain from any form of sexual immorality. That you must know how to possess your body. Your vessel here is a reference to your body. Your, your body or your vessel in sanctification, in honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens, there is again, abstain from fleshly lust, which do what against your soul? Please now note the effect on the soul. We had this verse, we, we studied a lot, remember? Fleshly lusts wage warfare, not against your spirit, they wage warfare against your soul. I'll talk maybe next week about the potential of defilement in the spirit. The Bible talks about a defiled spirit. But the intent is to wage warfare against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent amongst non-believers or Gentiles. Second Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands sure, having the seal. The Lord knows who are His. Everyone who names the name of the Lord, remember name is nature, identity and function, all of that you must remember. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. How you testify to who's, that you are Christ's disciple by your abstinence. From evil, from wickedness, etc. Listen to what the apostle said to his like-minded son, Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.22 Paul said, Flee youthful lust, Timothy. Remember, father is instructing a son, Flee youthful lust, Timothy. And pursue what? Pursue. Remember, he has it again. You can't just stop the one thing because there will be a vacuum. Stop stealing but labor so you can give. So he says, Timothy, stop pursuing youthful passions, but... Pursue righteousness, faith, love. And it says, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Underline the word with those. means your company. The word flee here, in our colloquial, means balega. The Greek word is fliego. Which literally means to flee away. Underline this definition. Seek safety by flight. Seek safety by flight. Metaphorically, to flee, to shun, or to avoid by flight. And please like, uh, underline this. Something abhorrent, especially vices. Something abhorrent. So if, if God abhors something, if it's abhorrent to God, you must flee away from it. Like I said to you earlier, you can't derive entertainment value from something that is abhorrent to God. You are, are deriving leisure, entertainment time, from a vice, let's say from reading certain items or watching certain programs or, or certain thoughts and behaviors. You can't ent derive entertainment value from that which God abhors because by participating in it, you give approval to it. You're saying it's legitimate, it's fine, even though it is not. And you've got to be very careful eh, today. Because even I noticed some sitcoms, I forget the names of them, some sitcoms on TV um, celebrate same-sex marriages in a sitcom. And, and the, 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 the pitch is so appealing Content is good, 
The jokes make you laugh. Okay? It's good humor. It's good laughter. Some of them, I was looking at the one problem, did I realize, I, I see these two guys are married. In the sitcom, I don't forget the name of the, of the program. These two guys are married. So what, what is the enemy doing? Subtly eroding the conscience of man to accept gay marriages and it's celebrated as a sitcom and it's, it's like very normal, it's very ordinary, it's part of life. That, when God sees that, God is not laughing. God says, I talk about that in Romans chapter 1. And I give them up to their own lusts. So you can't derive entertainment value from something that God abhors. Right? So be very, very discerning. The enemy is now subtle. Let me just say this to you. This abstinence from evil, the appearance might not be overtly evil. You gotta have the discernment to check whether this is um, abhorrent to the Lord or not. Okay? Where are we? I've got my page now. Oh, yes, page 13. Now, when Paul said to Timothy, so flee means literally seek safety by flight. Remove yourself, remove yourself out of the domain of, of being uh, in danger. Safety is um, make sh- making certain you're out of danger. So there's a potential danger attached to this. Um, please write this. Write this where, where it says danger. At the note. You see when you escape, the last line at the definition of flee or flee, to escape safely out of danger. When you escape out of danger... You are, you, you, you attempt to bring safety to yourself. So something innocent can be very dangerous. So look beyond the seeming innocence of what is portrayed to you and see the, 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 the covert operation of the enemy. It's subliminal. It's, it's, it's not in frontal. It's not overt. It's covert. It's not obvious. It's subliminal. Right? We've we got to heighten our senses and our discernment to say this is not kosher. Makes me laugh, lovely jokes, but it's not kosher. Because by, by deriving entertainment value from it, I accept it. Now, look at youthful lust. When Paul said to Timothy, do not flee youthful lust. Youthful lust, as I said in the note, is not only to be understood exclusively as a reference to sexual lust. Youthful lust. It also refers to, I think about a young person, self-assertion, self-indulgence, selfish ambition, headstrong obstinacy. I know it all, want to do my own thing, my own way. It doesn't just refer to a lust, sexual lust issue, it's all of those things. What does the Bible say you must do? Run away from that, because by engaging in that, you expose yourself to spiritual danger, right? Expose yourself to, to spiritual danger. Here's the example of Job. I just found these scriptures from Job. Do they mean for your study? Job 1.1. 1, 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. The man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and being what from evil? Well, in Paul's language, abstaining from all appearance of evil. Job turned his face away from evil. Job 28.28. 28. To man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. When you depart from evil, you're a man of understanding. Amen? Job 1.8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Right? Right there, somewhere, this is conscious and deliberate. It's a conscious, deliberate thing you do. Right? Aren't you feeling pure through the series? I just sense there's like a purity coming at every single level. Right? It's not just purity, there's heightened discernment and heightened perception attendant with it. Because God is taking out all the clutter, all the things that, like we, uh, Jules chose the song this morning, Purify my heart, cleanse me Lord I pray, 
Remove from me all that is standing in the way of your love. Give to me a totally undivided heart. Right? Not two positions. Mind of the soul versus mind of the spirit. Undivided heart. Singular position. Right, next one, which is very similar to one we did now. Overcoming carnality, cleanse yourself as a vessel of, as a vessel of honor and pursue holiness. Here's an interesting verse in 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 to 22. Everyone say, cleanse yourself. <laughs> Certain things you need to do yourself. Paul said this to Timothy. Everyone, or nevertheless, verse 19, 2 Timothy 2. The firm foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, tell your neighbor, we're in a large house. In a large house, house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, I'm fully aware of this. In any local church, in any broader family or clan, cluster of families, not all the vessels are of the same quality. Some are to honor, some to dishonor. Paul says there's gold, silver, and uh, gold and silver vessels on the one hand. On the other hand, there's wood and earthenware. What's the essential difference? The ability to stand the test of fire. Gold and silver can stand the test of fire. Wood and earthenware, if you put fire to it, will be, will be burned up and, and, and perishes. Therefore, Paul says in verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from these, he will be a vessel of honor. Please put a number one on sanctified. Number one, he'll be sanctified. Number two, he'll be useful. Number three, he'll be prepared for every good work. Right? Three results. If you want to go, you want to be characterized as gold and silver, you want to be characterized as a vessel of honor, uh, a, vessel, a noble vessel, you will cleanse yourself, and the result will be, you'll be sanctified, you'll be useful to the master, and you will be prepared for every good work. And in the, in the very next verse, he says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, Love, peace with those that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Can you see how we group these? We've separated these verses up to this point. But now put the whole lump together. See the trend that Paul is saying. Please write this somewhere. Say focus. Focus. Uh, I heard uh, somebody on TV yesterday, just fleetingly, on a channel. And he he said, focus. Focus is such an important principle. You want to, the thing that you pursue, you must focus on. Get that thing. It must be deliberate. Eh? So don't, don't give fleeting attention to the pursuit of a thing. Give it your devotion. Flee youthful lust and follow focusedly all of the other things. But do so from a pure, from a pure heart. Okay? Now, let's go over it because of time. Go to us on page 14. I'm not going to go through all of the Greek meanings of the, of, of the words there. They are there for your study. Okay. But you can look at that um, when, you have, when you have the time. I want to look at the word prepared. Everyone say prepared for the master's use. Sanctified, useful, prepared for the master's use. The, he, the Greek word implies the following. Yes, to make ready, to prepare. But to, to make necessary preparations. I like that meaning. To make the necessary preparations. Right? Which verse comes to your mind? One of my favorite verses. Prepare. Ezra prepared his heart to study, to teach, and to do the law of the Lord. Ezra 7 verse 10. Make the necessary preparations. So if you flee youthful lust, you attempt to live a sanctified life, holy, you'll be useful sanctified, useful, and you will be prepared for every single good work. Prepared, you will be in the right position to make the necessary preparations. You can't make preparations when you're bound by carnality. 
you can only, one can only truly prepare for the master's use and be prepared, make the necessary preparations when you have fulfilled the commandments. And the commandments there contextually um, cleanse yourself. Flee youthful lusts. You will be positioned to be prepared for every good work. But metaphorically, this word prepared, as you see in your note, listen carefully. It's drawn from an oriental custom of, underline, sending on before kings on their journeys, persons to level the road to make them possible. I like that image, eh? Lovely image, not so? Right? The road upon which you have to traverse in the coming season, the road that is before us as a local church, we have to make possible. We have to make journeyable. We have to journey on that road, right? So we, we level it out. We, we take away all the potential impediments, anything that will hold us up in the journey. Part of that involves cleansing ourselves, sanctification, personal purity, living a holy life for God is your way of making the journey ahead of you possible. Right? I just have this image of walking and the Lord says to me, Randolph, go on because you have cleansed yourself. You've, by your personal devotion to your purity, and to pleasing me, abstaining from all appearance of evil, etc., you have cast or cut a way forward. So you'll find momentum in the next leg of your journey by virtue of your present preparation. What you do now, presently, will afford you good passage in the, in the journey ahead. Okay? So always think of what I'm doing now is going to fuel my momentum in an undistracted, unimpeded uninhibited way in the journey ahead. Present mastery over sin. Present personal preparation. Positions one for great momentum and acceleration in your journey as you fulfill the will of the Lord for your, for your life. Amen? So who wants to move faster? Like you make things impossible. It's not really possible. Not impossible. Pass. I'm not impossible. Pass. To go through. You make things possible. You make things um, uh, traversable that you can go through, that you can walk through. Amen? Tell your neighbor, I will walk through the next phase. And I said that over the house. We will walk through the next phase unimpeded. No demonic powers will have to stop and give way. Remember I told you in the Kingdom Economics series, uh, what's his name? William. William Hinn said this. He was in some city walking to the lobby of some hotel. And he, he, he sensed heavy warfare in the atmosphere. But as he walked through this lobby, he literally saw demons standing back and saying, no, no, he's fine, give him way. And make his way by virtue of his representation. Nothing can. You give the enemy no foothold to oppose you. Your present commitment to purity carves a way for you in the spirit that you can walk unimpeded doing the will of God in your world. Amen? So it's very, very important. Don't give the enemy legitimate grounds to oppose you because of your lack of preparation. It says you are prepared for every good work. Amen? Prepared for every good work. Hallelujah. Right? Then when the enemy says, God can say like Job, no, 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 my servant, he hates evil. Can't do him nothing unless I give you permission for a very particular outcome. Hmm? Tell your neighbor we are immune. Amen? Thank God for His protection over us. But it demands, the Bible says we mustn't break the hedge. Not so in James, uh, John. Do not break the hedge. He who breaks the hedge, the, the serpent will, will bite him. Okay? Look at the Amplified Bible. 2 Timothy 2.22. Here you can read all the other things that I, I wrote. I tried to make the note as comprehensive as possible for reading purposes. So I hope you're all reading the note. I want to encourage you to read the note beyond the reading you do in the study. Read it and reread it. Right? It will eventually turn it into a book at some stage, as the Lord will permit. Now listen carefully. The Amplified Bible says, 2 Timothy 2.22 like this. It says, Shun youthful lusts and flee from them 
and aim at. I just like the wording. Circle the word shun and circle the word aim at. You shun one thing and you aim at the other. Okay? Understanding, Ashley? Shun this, aim. Aim means set your sights and your targets on righteousness, goodness, right living, conformity to the will of God in thought, word, and deed, etc. Look at the last three sentences in the above paragraph. From the word there. They cannot be. Well, let's read from Timothy. Timothy is to flee some things and pursue others. They cannot be an effective pursuit of that which is commendable and beneficial unless there is a clear fleeing of that which is detrimental. So something is beneficial for you. Let me just say this to all, especially as young people. There are some things that are going to kill you and your destiny. There are some things that are going to build into your destiny and bless you and build you up and prepare you. So Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying, flee that which is detrimental and follow that which is commendable and beneficial. Right? And then he says, let's just read this. He says, I wrote in your note, we are to flee from the one in order to escape it and pursue toward the other to attain it. So you flee one to run away. You flee when you want to be out of danger. Flee from one to escape it and pursue the other to attain it. Right? Let it be a catchphrase with you. Right? Flee one to escape it. Pursue the other to attain it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Christ. And I wrote, rootlessly reject the one and relentlessly pursue the other. Rootless means you take a firm position, eh? Not light wood, this is heavy warfare. Rootlessly reject the one and relentlessly per pursue the other. Pursue the other. Okay? And then I quoted uh, a verse which I've quoted often in the series. Joseph's example. Remember he left his garment when Potiphar's wife made advances to him? Genesis 39, 11. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. This is normal. He says, I'm a good boy. I'm doing my work in my master's house. Nothing, right? Just caring about my business. None of the men in the house were inside. Like This is like his guy is set up to fall. He's a good boy, faithful and diligent, doing his work. None of the men are in the house. Now, just stop right there. I'll talk. I won't be Maybe only get to the next session. There's, there's sometimes, don't put yourself in a position where you are prone to fall. Wisdom must dictate your operation. Okay? So, maybe Joseph realizing, hey, normally when I work, other men are here. Now, it's just me and this woman in this, in this house. Maybe I shouldn't be here. So, don't put yourself in a position where you are prone to be tempted or prone to fall. Fortunately, Joseph was strong. The Bible says she caught him by his garment, right? Uh, saying, lie with me, sleep with me, have sex with me. And he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he went outside. Fled means he fleed youthful lust. He ruthlessly rejected the one to pursue holiness and, and pursue his destiny in God. Notice the Bible says, just write this. Before you turn over. Where it says, she caught him by his garment. Uh, before you write, remember Joseph's garment always got him into trouble. This guy's coats, wherever he went, just got him into trouble. The brothers hate him with the coat. Yeah, he wears his mantle. The girl tries to sleep with him. I mean, listen carefully. This was one desperate woman. For, for her to have the coat. She was, she was quite violent, I think, with him. Right? She must have pounced on him and not given him a chance. Right? He, in the struggle to get a man's coat, if I have a jacket on and some woman must make advances to me, and in the squabble to still to leave and she got my coat, shows how desperate this woman was. Right? So this was one bad lady. Right? Listen carefully. She ends up with the man's coat. And, but it shows me also, it shows me how more ruthless and relentless Joseph was. Right? 
You must know that the wives of the pharaohs and the potiphers were amongst the most beautiful in the land. So by all, by all appearances, everything he was set up for destruction. Right? But listen carefully. He left the coat and he, and he left. And that coat got him into trouble. Eventually, it got him into, uh, got him imprisoned again. Not so? Got him imprisoned again. Just right there under garment. Just right. All the symbolism of garment. Something for you to study. I just wrote the authority, identity. All these things are related to garment or cloak covering. Authority, identity, purpose and function. Authority. All of those things. The enemy. So it tells me, in, in getting you to fall, the enemy wants to grab all these things from you. Your authority, your purpose, etc. Look at the top of page 15. Now, remember in 2 Timothy 2.22, we just read, please just go back before, I need to make this point. Go back to page 13. Second Timothy 2.21, I'll reread it again. If anyone cleanses himself from these, he will be a vessel of, everyone say vessel of honor. Then I said number one, sanctified. Number two, useful to the master. And number three, prepared for every good work. Now, useful to the master, um, turn over the page. I'm not sure if I have this. Yes, despotes. In the middle of page 14, the Greek word for master is despotes. We get the English word despot or despotic, etc. from here. It means a master or lord, and it means this one who has undisputed ownership and control over you. Uncontested, unrivaled, undisputed control over you. Now, God wants that. God wants, the Bible says, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies, which are God's. You should I put that verse in here, 1 Corinthians 6, if you want the reference. You are not your own, you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies, which are, which are God's. Now listen carefully. God wants uncontested control and ownership over your life. It says, when you cleanse yourself from these, you would be in the position where you are sanctified, useful, um, and prepared, making the preparations and making your way possible for every single good work that God has in store for you. With that in mind, Read the next verse on page 15 at the top. First Peter 4, verse 1 and 2. I just love this verse. It just encapsulates it. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind or the same purpose. He who has suffered in the flesh, should underline, has ceased from sin. Ceased from sin. So that... Now, so that, so as to, this is a big so as to. This is like, with this in mind, to attain this result, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer to the lust of men, but for the will of God. This for me is a really nice verse. It succinctly encapsulates much, it summarizes it so nicely. So, just quickly, quickly before we run out of time. Sometimes God permits suffering. It says He suffered in the flesh. Sometimes God will permit suffering to teach you obedience. Son though He was, He learned obedience by the things He suffered. Not so? Please write that verse. Hebrews 5 something, I think it is. I'm not sure if it's 5. Son though He was, He learned obedience by the things He suffered. Okay, now you should know the verses by now. What is the purpose of obedience? What does obedience do to the soul? Purifies the soul. So we can love the brethren, put the nature of God on, this, on display. This verse, this, this, Bible, this verse is saying to us, listen carefully, sometimes God will permit us suffering and trial to bring us to a place of obedience. I always say, if you will not learn by principle, you will learn by suffering. Therefore, listen to me. First time. Tell you never, therefore listen to him. First time. 
listen first time so that because if you don't listen by principle, then God would say, okay, you don't listen by instruction, then I will teach you the same lesson by causing you a trial and maybe the suffering will speak louder than the Bible study. <laughs> okay. Now listen carefully. Son though he was, he learned obedience. Um, one of the most powerful principles I learned, obedience is a learned principle. He learned obedience by the things. You can learn obedience. You can get yourself to a place of being thoroughly obedient. He learned obedience how? By the things he suffered. Do you know when you're suffered, you are more resolved to obey? Anyone can obey and, and be humble when they're down and out. But even if everything goes well, you are more prone to fall at that level, not so? When everything is not going well, you'll do anything to get God's blessing in your life. You're more resolved and prone to obey when you're in a vortex of a serious trial. But when you're on the mountaintop of triumph and success, you're more prone to fall. I think it takes more discipline to be successful than not successful. Because is that when you're riding the crest of that wave, like Solomon, and you're being to compromise by marrying um, non-Israelite wives, they cause Solomon's downfall. When you're riding that crest of the wave, you start to forget the principles of the word of the Lord. So some though he were, he learned obedience by the things he suffered, so as to, King James says, so that, listen carefully, it says, Alice, this is, this is what I want. I know I've said in the past, I want many things as my epitaph on my tombstone when I die. Maybe this should be the one. Just right here lies Randolph. He lived the time in the flesh, no longer to the lust of men, but he lived for the will of God. The two things are not mutually um, attainable in the same context. The one will kill the other. You can't live to the lust of men, and pursue the will of God simultaneously. The one will kill the other. Right? So I really want to encourage you to, to live your life the rest of your time to the will of your to the will of your Father. Amen. One last one. Hate iniquity. Can we do one last one? Right? Everyone say hate iniquity. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 9. You've got to hate iniquity and love righteousness. Hebrews 1, 9, verse 8. Sorry, Hebrews 1, verse 8 and 9. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is a scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness, but you have hated lawlessness. Who is this verse talking about? The Lord Jesus himself. Think about it. This is a commentary about Jesus himself. The Bible says Jesus loved righteousness, but what did he do to lawlessness? He hated it. Right? Therefore God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your brothers. I like this. Above your brothers. You've got to get to this place. Okay, don't read whatever I wrote there. Just listen to me. You've got to get to a place where you can honestly say in yourself, I don't, I won't sin, I won't watch that, I won't do that, I won't read that. Why? Because, yes, I know all the principles, cleanse myself, a vessel of honor, useful, fit, make things possible, fulfill the will of God, etc. And all the principles, abstain from all appearance of evil. But one thing that must definitely rise up within you, why do you abstain? Because you hate it. You see, you will never devote attention to something you love, you you. You, you, you hate. To despise a thing means I, I see it for what it is. Right? I see it for what it is. So I won't go to a strip club to watch naked women. Why? Certain men might derive pleasure from that. But I hate it. Why? Because it's abhorrent to God. I know I'm using a way out example. Right? But it's just, to, just to make the point. You can apply this to virtually anything. So I hate it. You've got to get to the place where you hate sin. You hate lawlessness without law. Lawless is doing things without law. You hate sin, but you love the opposite, which is righteousness, and that pleases God. Okay? Just quickly with your neighbor. 
Okay, each of you think of, of, of a sin. It can be something gross or something not so gross. Just think of anything that you hate. Now tell it to your neighbor. Just tell him, I hate lies. I hate thieving. I hate uh, misrepresentation. Whatever, any carnal expression. I hate division. I hate unforgiveness. I hate pornography. Uh, I hate uh, bribery. I hate fraud. You, I, I would say, okay, can I give you an exercise? Write on a piece of paper when you get home. Just 10 expressions of carnality that you hate. Get to the place where you say, that I hate. Because the Bible says about Jesus, it talks about his throne, which is rulership, a scepter of righteousness forever. And he says, this Jesus hates unrighteousness or lawlessness, but he loves righteousness. You've got to be like Job. God says about Job, he's a man that hates evil. He's choose evil. Right? When God looks at Leo, God must say, Leo, there's a man that hates a lack of integrity because his company is called Integrity Solutions. Right? Or there lies Brittany. There's a young woman that hates unforgiveness. But she loves to be loving and kind and forgiving. Right? So would you list 10 things that you hate? Right? I, I recall once we were in a prophetic conference in uh, Pretoria some years ago. Way, I was very young in the Lord uh, with Walter Penn's own way back. And somebody quoted the scripture. And we all had to stand up. You know, the prophetic guys can really make declarations, etc. And so we had to shout out loud 20 things we had to write on a piece of paper. 20 sins you hate. And you had to stand up. And, I hate pornography. I hate lies. I hate this. I hate it. Develop a hatred for that. You know why? If you hate the thing, it will not be attractive to you. You kill its power to lure you. Eh? And then start to write ten things that you love. Expressions of righteousness. I love honesty. I love truth. I love forgiveness. I love loving kindness, goodness, patience. All of the, the fruit of the, of the Spirit. Now please, a big circle or underline. Underline the word therefore in verse 9. Therefore, wherever you see the word therefore, you must always ask yourself, what is it? Therefore. Therefore. In other words, you, if you've done that, decided what you love, what you hate, therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Remember, Please, the word above your companions is very important. In other words, oil means empowerment for, for service, not so. The oil of anointing was always for consecration. God will empower you for service above the ordinary level of empowerment. It's above your brothers, not so. Now, who wants to function at a level above your companions? The companions, the King James is above your brothers. Right? If you want a level of anointing and, and, and Holy Ghost empowerment, grace impartation to do the will of the Lord, you have got to sort this issue of carnality out. There's some things you must reject, other things you have to love. Right? Therefore, God will give you an anointing above your companions. And it's not just an anointing for equipment, for service. I like this. The oil of gladness. Come on, say glad. Have you lost your joy? Do you know what? I mean, even you know this. When you sin, and you know you've sinned, you are like the most miserable person on the planet. Not so? For yourself, not for anybody, because you know you've done wrong. Conscience pricks you. It's like you can't express joy. Right? But you know what the Bible says? Look at this. Psalm, 70, Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8. Psalm 40 is, is a messianic psalm, predictive of Jesus. It says, he, then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. King James, in the volume of the book, it is written about me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Why? Your law is in my heart, or your word is in my heart. Delight there is joy. Jesus had such sheer delight in executing the will of God for his life, even though it was tremendously costly. Okay? When we say the tension between not my will, but thy will be done, 
It's not like a, it's not that we not lose our joy. We are joyful to willingly surrender our will to the Lord's will. Not so. Nothing gives us more joy. Nothing gives us more joy. I like the CEV rendering of Psalm 40 verse 8. It says, I enjoy pleasing you. Your law is in my heart. I enjoy it. Right? I enjoy pleasing you because your law is in my heart. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Would you hate lawlessness and love righteousness? Would you abstain from all appearance of evil? Amen. I really feel that as we do these things practically, there's going to be such momentum in the execution of God's will for our lives. Amen. Amen. Bless you.